This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Game Dev Unchained, the number one game development podcast about game development and a lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and joining me, two special guests, Christopher Ng and Philip Benefall. How yeah. are you? How Hello. Great. <laughs> Great. <Doing> well. <laughs> All right. So this is actually the part of the podcast where the guests, such as yourselves, uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers out there, who you are, where you've been, and where you head. Yeah, should, should I start, Philip? Yeah. Yeah, I'm Christopher. Uh, I started as a composer, I almost said I'm still a composer. Uh, but um, I also uh, was the guy having the idea for our uh, adaptive game music tech. And I'm the co-founder with uh, Philip for Elias Software. Um, I still am the product owner and I work with a lot of things within the company. But I also compose. I compose uh, almost half my time right now uh, for a game called It Takes Two. Uh, Yeah. A short introduction, Mm -hmm. Philip. Yeah, um, and I'm Philip Benefall. I'm a I'm a developer. I I, I uh, usually code in C. That's where I feel most at home. Um, I'm blind since birth, um, so I, I code a little bit differently from what you might imagine. I I have a a speech synthesizer that reads the screen to me, and then I just type on a regular keyboard. So um, my my workstation looks a little bit weird, uh, I guess, from for most people. I don't even have a screen on my desk. So um, it, people are like, "Well, where's the computer?" Well, it's, it's there, right there. <laughs> so that's that's usually how we start. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm also the co-founder along with Chris, and uh, yeah, I, I handle usually the low level stuff. Um, you know, performance and uh, stuff like that's what I usually do on a daily basis. Yeah. And the reason we can't see you is because you're blind, right? No, yeah, it's the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. Web, webcam shy. But uh, there's a lot There's a lot to unravel here. So first of all, of course, Philip, we just have to address like that. That is a very huge, uh, well, to you, it seems very normal, right? Like it seems like nothing out of the ordinary. Um, you have your tools that you need to kind of perform at your work. Uh, yeah, I got my industry- terminal. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, the industry as a whole, I, I think in the last six months especially, has have been trying to driving towards being more inclusive and for accessibility. And a lot of that is because we are meeting online and workplaces have to adapt uh, to not being at physical workplaces anymore. Uh, do you feel that change uh, uh, affecting a lot of developers or, or are you seeing that yourself or... Um, this is something I've noticed in the last couple of months because of COVID where, yeah, um, where everyone's meeting online more. 
Yeah, I mean, I've certainly noticed that and, you know, myself included. Um, I usually work a lot from home because, you know, I can work from pretty much anywhere that has a C compiler and a, an internet connection, you know, but um, uh, I, I, you know, the funny thing is I, uh, my code runs in a lot of games and I can't play any of them, uh, which is, a, you know, it's always a bit of a, an inside joke, uh, mm-hmm. you know. It's kind of I, sad though. Yeah, it is. I mean, I do, I do make games for the blind as well as in my, in my free time, but, uh, you know, those are sort of the same as, as, you know, regular games just without, uh, the visuals. So anything that you would normally represent with, uh, visual cues, you know, graphics, et cetera, uh, are done with audio cues like dialogue, music, sound effects, et cetera. So that's sort of my hobby, uh, when I'm not, when I'm not working at Elias. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, um, Christopher, you were kind of mentioning that, uh, you know, you, you and Philip created this company and its focus is on sound and, um, reimagining what sound, how it works within the game industry, within games. Uh, can you kind of expand on that a bit on uh, what Elias is about? Absolutely. Um, uh, when I, uh, when I got my first uh, gig as a composer for for a game, it was kind of a really cool game. It got cancelled, and but it was really cool for for two years in development. And uh, it was me and two other composers uh, making music. We had a real symphonic orchestra, and it was kind of a dream gig. But the thing that I was so um, surprised uh, with was that. Uh, it wasn't really connected to the game, not in my opinion. It was like, yeah, here's some music and here's some, some other music and we just crossfade and it's like a kind of DJ approach. I didn't uh, thought it sounded any good. So when that uh, game got canceled, I, I had a lot of free time. <laughs> uh, and uh, I started to uh, write down my ideas and, and I also uh, actually did some... Uh, demos i had uh what was that game i did time shifter i think it was called <laughs> I, I you could do your own um uh levels and i, I did a level and i i, I uh, composed music for it and i showed it to some game companies and told told them about my ideas and everyone said that well, come back to just with a prototype. And I'm not a composer. I, I, I'm not a programmer. I'm a composer. So um, the only thing I can program is a Commodore C64. Uh, but that's not the newest tech out there. So I realized I need I need a programmer to, to make this prototype. And I used to write music for Philips games. And I thought, well, isn't this the perfect guy? He's a great programmer, but his ears are also like extreme. <laughs> and I, I, I asked Philip, uh, yeah, can't you, Philip? What, what was your, your your reaction when I came up with this fantastic idea? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did think it was a fantastic idea, and then you asked me, can 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 you do it? And I said, no. Yeah. So, so the reason I said that is because I was worried about the performance implications. You know, we only have a tiny slice of, of the disc and the CPU of a game, you know, so uh, I was thinking, ah, probably too heavy, you know, because it's going to be like this and like this. Um, but then I thought about it for a few days and I came up with some solutions that 
I, and, you know, I thought maybe this would make it, you know, a little bit lighter. Um, so I actually called him back and, you know, I, I told him no at first. And then after about a week, I called him back and I said, Hey, uh, I have some ideas. I don't know if it's going to work, but, uh, let's make a prototype. Yeah. And so it did. And actually one of the studios, uh, uh, decided to try it in their game Gauntlet. Uh, the studio was uh, Arrowhead in Stockholm. Uh, I think it was, yeah, it was Warner Brothers games that released that game and it worked really well. Uh, but the interesting thing is from the beginning, the only thing that I cared about was to make the music sound right in the game. But quite soon we also needed an interface and uh, I just almost did it the way I, I wanted. I, I, I didn't care about what was hard to do or, or anything like that. Uh, we had a guy uh, in the beginning uh, that uh, Anton Holmberg is his name, that just had to realize my ideas with a graphical interface. Uh, and actually, we understood quite early that Elias was not only about making the music sound good, it was all, also about bringing back the control to the composers. So you could actually try everything with uh, adaptive music and so on. And that became a core thing within Elias to, to change the workflow. And right now uh, at Elias, uh, we are also expanding to, to handle uh, sound effects and, and uh, everything that sounds in a game uh, with the same approach. Because I realized not only composers uh, needed to take back the control, uh, also all the audio guys out there uh, were actually almost completely dependent on programmers and, and they had no freedom at all. <laughs> so, and I didn't re realize that at first. Uh, so it made sense. So we actually brought in uh, a guy to the company, an audio designer, uh, Mons, um, this is the first time in my life I forgot his last name, <laughs> Utner, Mons Utner. Uh, so he, he's, he's been working really hard the, couple, uh, the last couple of years uh, with this uh, audio part of Elias. And we're going to release that. Uh, yeah, we already have a beta, but somewhere Q, Q1 next year. So we moved from just handling, not just for me, it's the most important thing in a game, the music, uh, to, to handling adaptive game music to take care of the whole audio chain. Uh, so that is where the company is right now. Yeah, maybe to, for a little bit of context, we we started prototyping like early 2013. Um, so it's yeah. we've, we've been going for a while. We've been a, an official company since uh, 2014. So um that you know we've, we've spent a few years uh, building up the infrastructure and you know really testing the waters and yeah uh this is where we are now yeah yeah i think you're muted there we go yeah sound, <laughs> sound tech and uh, music oh man I'm, I'm, I just realized I'm talking to two sound engineers, so this is embarrassing. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> now I'm no, no. super self-conscious now. Uh, sound tech and music software, or at least the, the, the sound department, I've always felt a little bad for because uh, you guys are always like uh, 
kind of handed over at last minute and you have the littleness of time to actually work with the game right it yeah. seems like everything is kind of like um delayed to the very last minute and then finally given to the sound department and in my opinion sound is the most essential part for storytelling uh yeah. i think uh with sound you can tell a complete story uh absence of visual uh needs and the vice versa isn't the same uh, oh. Just being able to kind of play a game with no sound, it, it just completely removes the experience, in my opinion, right? And yeah, I mean, take it, take a comparison. If you're watching a horror movie, you know, uh, and you turn the music off, it's not going to be as scary anymore. Hitchcock's exactly. not the same, you know, mm-hmm. with, with the... <laughs> I actually I think stole it, that. I stole that line from you, Chris. It's like an old one right. that you used to okay. use years yeah. ago. <laughs> but, yeah. but I liked but, it, so I'm going to... Yeah. yeah, you said one really interesting thing that I also... When you're doing like music or sound for for a film, or uh, you're also last in the in the chain almost as a composer, you need the final cut to to make the, the music. Uh, but what you're doing uh, cannot uh, you you can't um, uh, what you can't create bugs when you're you're <laughs> making a score for a film. Uh, being an audio team and the composer coming in at the last minute, you will introduce bugs. Uh, and that is also one of the most important things we are solving with our engine so that the audio team can start from day one. Uh, they don't need the whole game to, to start working. Uh, just to avoid that. I, I think almost every game out there uh, the audio team has been in crunch for mm-hmm. like uh, at least six months before it's, the game is released. So, so we are trying to solve that. Yeah, essentially uh, to break it down for, for the devs who might not be familiar with um, a lot of audio software, what we're doing um, is it's a sort of a visual scripting language. Uh, so you can, you know, you can see exactly what's going on. You have a lot of um, like runtime debugging uh, that, that hopefully should make sense when you're watching it. And um, the idea is that you get inputs, you know, basic inputs from, from the game engine itself. Um, and then you actually like, or, or rather the audio system that we're building handles the logic. So you script the logic within our system, which means that you're in a bit of a sandbox. Like if you mess up, yes, you can mess up the sounds, but you can't actually have an impact on the rest of the team. You know, like if you're if you're working like right in the game engine, uh, you can easily introduce bugs for other departments, which we're trying to minimize as much as we possibly can. Yeah, yeah. I, I think what you guys are doing is pretty essential because, like I kind of mentioned, because being last in the chain, and I, I've been kind of seeing this with with animation, like. Um, like certain departments just haven't had any software updates. Like um, I, I come with an environment art background. And so when for, with environment artists, character artists, pretty much visual effects artists, you, you see like these major upgrades. Uh, and every year there's new software that we have to like sit down and buckle down to learn. Animators are still animating with Maya. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Max, there are better improvements with mocap and stuff that are slowly, but they're 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 a little slower. And then the 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 sound department, uh, because I don't know what it is. Um, maybe you guys can give some light into this. Uh, 
kind of paint a picture of you know what what is out there for sound designers uh, where Elias Software had to come around to kind of fix this issue. What was the landscape looking like where you guys felt like there was a huge missing need for composers yep. out there? Yeah, for, for me, it was like um, uh, there are two. I, I don't want to. <laughs> uh, there are two great uh, softwares out there uh, that, that are solving a lot of important problems. Uh, uh, with with audio, um, the only thing is that they. I'm trying to put this kind of nice, but uh, they are solving problems uh, 15 years ago, right? Uh, and these problems need to be solved uh, today as well, of course. But I think, as you said, all the other departments has got new tools uh, mm-hmm. since then, uh, and and you you expect uh, the way you. <clears throat> you expect today is that if you're a composer, you would be able to handle the whole process uh, of uh, implementing music to your game. Uh, That that I think would be most composers uh, uh, idea when they start working. And then when they realize, okay, so there, it has to be like three or four persons between me and the game, like uh, programmers and audio guys, and th- that is quite surprising, I think. For for, but but I think it has to do a lot what what you just said. That, um, yeah, yeah. I, I I don't find the answer to to why the audio part is uh, so slow compared to other departments. But do you have a better answer, Philip? Well, I mean, I think it's just a matter of, of you know, uh, reducing the underlying complexity when it comes to uh, how much coding is needed. I think that's, you know, where the major game engines have taken leaps, yeah. uh, you know, in the last decade, uh, mm-hmm. certainly. And I, I feel like audio has been left behind. And I mean, uh, just given, you know, how we've set up our you know, visual scripting system. It feels weird for me to advertise visual solutions, but I'm going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, I mean, you know, like it's, it, it, I think it really helps to be able to see exactly what's going on and be able to follow the control flow in real time as you're playing the game. Cause that's another important point is that you can actually change the logic um, of the audio as you're playing the game without restarting the game. That's a huge um, important point to mention is that you don't have all this iteration time going back and forth, back and forth, rebuilding, you know, sound banks, restarting the game, or sometimes even rebuilding the game. None of that, you know, you can just, you can do it live. And that's a, I think that's a huge boost for productivity, if anything. Yeah, absolutely. I think also we got a lot of input before we take the took the leap to do this audio part. We actually helped with a company called Orchestral Tools uh, building their new sampler, uh, and it was kind of the same. When they first talked about their ideas, I was I was a little bit like, uh, "Well, do we need this?" Uh, I was per- perfectly fine uh, with my samplers. <laughs> But then using the sampler now, I, I can't go back. So, so it's, it has to be someone, I think, that, that uh, take, takes the first step. Uh, and uh, then you realize why you needed it. Hey, let's take a break and hear from our sponsors. So as you guys may know or may not know, for new and old listeners... 
that I'm a big proponent for game dev education. So much so that I spent pretty much half of my career on the side teaching to colleges while making AAA games. Well, in the last five years, I've dedicated all that time to create a new school called Game School Online. And I've spent that time to kind of help educate and give access to students around the world that don't usually have access to game dev education, quality game dev education that are structured curriculum that are also being mentored by AAA developers. So if you want to have that time, 30 minutes a week, 30 minutes a month, or even with some of our students are meeting an hour a week, every week with our scholars that range from design, programming, art, environment art, character art, uh, and so on and so forth. You want to drop by Games Call Online and give it a try. This is a great opportunity to have access to the greatest developers around the world at a very affordable price. I like to kind of uh, correlate it to if you were to pay this out of pocket to a physical school, you're basically paying 100 times more. And what's great about our program is that you're getting like a personal trainer that is adapting to your needs and to your wants and goals to give you a one-on-one session to the best education possible, right? So drop by gameschoolonline.com. Uh, link in description can be found in this episode. To start your game dev career, this is a great opportunity. This is the best way to learn. And we have proven in the last four to five years that students that are finally graduating are finding great jobs at a fraction of the cost. So go to gameschoolonline.com, give it a try, give it some love. Back to this week's episode. Uh, Yeah, I guess to to, to help paint the picture... In my experience, the um, the sound department had always been like this very intimate, small group. You guys always had the best office out of everybody. <laughs> I always tease the fact that you guys are streaming movies all day with your surround sound and setup uh, in your private soundproof office all the time. Uh, so for that reason, there's so much, uh, there's so little limited, so much uh, limited rooms. Uh, I, I don't know what it is, but it seems like this, the sound department has always been like three to four guys at most um, per game company that I've been at. And uh, I don't know if that kind of translates to maybe why there has been a slower push to new software uh, for yeah, to use. Maybe that, that's a, that's a, I think you're on to something. <laughs> uh, I think just because uh, the audio department they can't work they, at least before <laughs> they can't work at the same time in the same way as other departments can do, can't collaborate as easy. Uh, so it makes the department smaller. They have to have to be kind of serialized <laughs> in the process. Uh, so that could, so, so just the fact that that department used to be smaller, it could be a clue as well. Mm-hmm. Of course, uh, people using uh, unit or unreal at the company will always be more people. Uh, than us using the specialized uh, audio software. Yeah, and one of the biggest 
software or need for software upgrades have always been, at least in the environment and art department, has been because of real-time feedback, something that, uh, yeah. Philip, you were kind of kind of alluding to. Because um, the old way, let's take light baking, for example, or older proprietary engine that isn't Unreal or Unity, where you, artists literally just, best way to use it is blindly just kind of light a, a scene and walk away, basically, until they, they kind of, bake it onto a console and kind of take a look at what they've done. Um, and that was a process for a long time. And because of, uh, well, most recently ray tracing and all these other lighting techniques and needs, we're able to kind of light an environment uh, and see real-time feedback, right? And this mm-hmm. is sounding like something that you guys are doing with Elias Software where uh, composers especially uh, are needing to see the setup uh, and not only that, seeing how having full control of uh, scenarios of the player's movement and, and 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 be able to play with that. So that alone is something something new that I haven't heard of and uh, very exciting if you guys can uh, expand on that a bit. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, um, so we're trying to solve essentially the same fundamental problems for composers and sound designers. So we're, we're trying to cover both fields, you know. Um, and I think uh, being able to actually prototype at an early stage of the development process before, you know, the scenes are done, the artwork's done, uh, you know, you maybe you have just like um, the filler sounds, you know, things like that. It's like really early. You can still prototype your logic even within the software without even having a game engine attached. You can actually prototype, you know, your, your logic flow, your control flow. Um, so, you know, there's a small step from being able to uh, try it at that early stage and actually coming up with models, uh, you know, for your audio and then hooking up, hooking this up to the game engine and taking, you know, in, in like real time input and then seeing how it responds. Um, that's a smooth transition that you're doing. You can actually, you know, start early, build up your, your data structures, essentially your, you know, not, not in terms of coding, but like in terms of when, you know, for example, when I, you know, um, my foot, uh, collides with the ground. Uh, you want to do a footstep based on, for example, is it the left foot, the right foot? Is it mm-hmm. snow? Uh, is it concrete? Are we walking? Are we running? Uh, are we landing after a jump? All of that you you set up from within the audio system. So the only input in that scenario that you would take from the game engine is, okay, foot collided, do something, you know? And so if you only need that small amount of input, um, it becomes pretty easy to try out different scenarios and swap sounds. You can even swap sounds in real time as you're playing as well. Uh, so when you finally hook up the game engine to it, uh, it, it it's a pretty smooth process, you know, to, to actually try it out. Um, and yeah, that, and, and know, important, oh, important, Philip, is that the game engine is uh, hooked up to it. You can do everything you just said live. So yeah, 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 exactly. So you can do it either within the software when I was like, I was describing in the early stages or yeah. you can, you know, you can do it while the game is running. Like I said yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. So you can actually, uh, you know, play the game, uh, make some small change to the logic in the software. Do not restart the game. Just take another step and you'll notice it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then, I thought, uh, sorry. 
Yeah, I just realized when uh, when I'm redesigning the music system now for this new engine, um, I got kind of stuck a couple of times or 20, 30 times <laughs> when you tried to cover all scenarios until I, I realized what I was trying to do was that we need to, and it's the same for the audio department, we need to to design for, for every, um, what do you call it, every... Well, at, at first, as a composer, the thing you want to do is just throw in some files and test uh, how, how it sounds to go between them and so on, and just some easy previewing. And you don't need the game for that. And that needs to be the way it is today, actually, in, uh, in our music software. Um, but then you want to arrange your music for, for the game. Uh, and that's a kind of a different job. Then, then you're going more into details and, and uh, uh, you need to be able to tweak whatever you like and so on. And then also the implementing part of it needs to be uh, creative and fun and, and uh, no code, in, in our case, the visual scripting. I think most of uh, the solutions out there are either taking care of the last process, let's say, uh, you're do, doing a very small game. Uh, you're in the begin, beginning of a game, but you need to go through a million of million tools, a million um, stages of that software just to make just to try try it. So it's not really work. It's not really made to do some uh, previewing and some uh, uh, first steps, if you like. And then you can also. Uh, do the other way around, where the software is really easy to preview and start. But when you come to the end of a game, you don't have all the tools that you need to make it safe for the game. Um, I'm not sure I'm making 100% sense here because it's still, but 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 I think what we're trying to do is that you should. It will be. It should be intuitive, fast, and fun to work with from from the start. But you also need to. It need to needs to handle the bigger games with thousands and thousands of files, and so we need to really be, have a really great file system and, and so on. Mm-hmm. And I think that part is is your part, Philip. Yeah, that's <laughs> the last my part. part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To make it really stable and and uh, connected uh, and yeah, make it scale. Yeah. Yeah, and my part is more the first step, uh, trying to be, uh, I'm trying to, to, to be that composer I was back in the days when I didn't know any <laughs> tech, uh, because that is what, what we're trying to do, uh, technology for composers and not for engineers. Yeah, and I, I think that plays a major part. And to kind of relate, like, well... Less with working with Unreal and Unity, um, proprietary engine for artists have always been a, a, a new program for a certain aspect. It's like literally a new program for modeling, a new program for uh, lighting. It's all a separate program that makes into sometimes going back into Maya as the main engine uh, to make everything work in tandem. And a lot of the times the experts uh, are the ones that are uh not exactly fully creative with their job but it's more like how fast can they get from a to z 
uh, by guessing, like who is the best yeah. guesser of how mm-hmm. it would look at the end. And in your case is how it sounds at the end when you play it on the console. And uh, as you can see, that kind of leaves out a lot of the creativity and room to experiment um, during the process, which is essential for game developers, for any creatives to kind of play with things and and not be worried about time. And time, if anything, for game developers, the key thing is we're always trying to hit deadlines. So, I mean, there's a lot of constraints already with game development and having tools being a blocker have always been, at least in my experience, been so frustrating uh, to create anything. And so to, to hear a solution, at least for the sound department, finally from you guys uh if i can just go ahead and ask it's like you know what what were you know what was the time frame before and after elias software that composers were, were dealing with like how long would it take one from 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 concept to finish um you know be, pre-2013 with you guys just to paint a picture for people out there to kind of see you know how much time is being saved by 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 working with your guys' software yeah I can just talk for for my own experience. Uh, we don't have any. Uh, it's hard to make kind of exact numbers and so on. But uh, working with that game I did before was more like you know that you're gonna write to something and you get you get kind of a you get a, a playthrough of that level, uh, and then you start making the music for that level and you you kind of guess how long you will be in this certain level. Uh, and uh, let's say, uh, yeah, you're going to play, uh, if you're uh, not that good gamer, <laughs> you're going to be in this area for, I don't know, uh, five minutes or something like that. And then you you probably make kind of two or three minutes music and you loop it. Uh, that was how we did it. And, and uh, the way it was, I we did the music we sent it over to the studio and like a month later <laughs> we might see it in the game and uh, maybe even play that level uh, and, me- and very many times you realize at that point that uh, okay we needed a lot more music here uh, uh, too bad the we can't hire the symphonic orchestra again we have to to use some some other software to to fill in the gaps and so on but uh and it was like that the whole process that you you see your result like a month later all all of the time. Um, so in that case, uh, it wouldn't be fair to maybe compare it because we we didn't handle the we we just composed music. It was the only way, uh, and we gave it to programmers or audio guys. Um, if you if you know these other programs today, uh, it will. If you, be faster, of course, but we, we had some. Um, there were one guy trying to compare us to other uh, middlewares and uh, did the same adaptive music in all of them. And uh, was it like Philip uh, three days in the others took three hours in hours? Yeah, or something, something like that. Yeah. 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 Uh, so 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 that but but. Yeah, so uh, that of course triggered us to, to really uh, continue on that path. Uh, try to because the the main thing with Elias is that we really want to give control to the creative persons. 
they need to be able to do everything possible <laughs> they can do because every time you have to rely on another person, the cre- creativity dies. Uh, it's very hard to go into the mode again. Uh, like for us, a month later, <laughs> mm-hmm. trying to imagine, okay, uh, why is this music sounding like this? Uh, and, and maybe we got another playthrough. And that's also a very what I thought was very strange. We actually did film scoring to one person's gameplay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if it's an open world or something like that, you don't know how this person will, what route he will take and so on. So uh, that then it gets even more uh, important to, you have to be able to play the game with your music as fast as po- possible as a composer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think it's the same way. If you think of other uh, areas for a composer today, like if you go back 30 years, <laughs> then you might have, you, you wrote down something you played on your small recorder or something, but then at the point you went into the studio and you were in the hands of a producers and engineers and, and things like that. We don't have that today because having a studio today is so cheap <laughs> mm-hmm. for anyone. Uh, so we, we start hearing music, even pop music that, with a lot of experimentation uh, more than before because it's possible. And I would like that to be the case in the, within games as well. At, uh, you choose the composer because of his composing skills, not if it's technical enough to do it, if you see my point. Yeah. And I, I'm sure like Aside from just the time of uh, being able to spit out a quality uh, product um, versus how it was before where the process would take longer, mm-hmm. that, uh, like you said, the experimentation, the you get more variety during those three hours versus three yeah. days where the composer is not shy from trying new things because it's so iterative, it's so fast. Mm-hmm. And that alone is already uh, making the industry better, I think. Uh, and like what you said, like it's very odd that uh, we've always treated games like film because we're very different and it's very natural to make the connection, but we're way more interactive and the player is literally leading um, the story, right? Yeah. In the movement. And so... Uh, at least on the art side, we've been trying to adapt to that with lighting and material changes and visual effects to visually uh, kind of support that. But audio has been something that been lagging a bit behind because of the tools. And and I, I can't under I can't highlight this enough. Tools is, to me, and I've worked on so many different engines, so many crappy ones, and tools have always been. Uh, <coughs> a major factor in how I'm going to enjoy this game development experience or not, <laughs> especially yeah, yeah. if you were exposed to good tools before. And then suddenly you have to like go back to caveman drawing tools. It really hurts you as a game developer to like, why are we still doing this? It's like, aren't you guys paying attention outside? <laughs> Look out the yeah. window and see what everyone is, you know, what the cool thing is to do now. It's, it's, um, it really just really kills the mood and creativity yeah. uh, to the point where uh, you're just trying, you're just doing what you know versus what you, uh, and exploring what you don't know instead of exploring yeah. what you don't know. And, that, and an important thing, thing is, uh, I, I think uh, the boundaries of of music in games hasn't hasn't been pushed 
yet because there hasn't been a, a way to do it. <laughs> uh, if you see what I mean, because um, to be able to push the limit of what, what game music should be, uh, of course, it will be something similar to, to film scoring. But as you said, it's uh, it's um, uh, adaptive, and and uh, the only way to do that, I think, is if we get rid of all the middle steps. The composer is actually composing for the game with the game in the studio so he can do some horrible tries <laughs> it, it doesn't if he thinks well this should be uh, uh, first tries doing a ship tune and then no maybe symphonic orchestra or this or maybe heavy metal he, he should be able to to just throw in ideas and try them and uh, now i don't think you you dare to do that because because you know the the time limit and so on. So it often ends up Hans Zimmer copies <laughs> a lot of the times because you know it it will work. So let me throw uh, a question over to Phil. I'm, I'm I don't want to glaze over this because you know we're talking about sound and hearing is kind of like your superpower and uh, and recently this year especially. There is a, an attempt for accessibility, right? And uh, which also means that years before accessibility was non-existent, <laughs> at least in my viewpoint, right? But uh, somehow you you found yourself in this game industry, and you were kind of commenting as a joke, like you you make games, but you can't play them right now. Um, do you mind kind of giving a, a bigger glimpse of that? Because I think that helps with. Um, helps with why you guys develop Elias software because you're essentially creating an avenue for developers out there that are uh, haven't been being attention to, frankly, right? And uh, I think that's a huge component of who you guys are too. It's like you guys are really concentrating on making sure accessibility is a, a major point of this. Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, you know, uh, I guess, how can I say, good audio middleware doesn't give you accessibility uh, automatically. It doesn't really work like like that. Um, it, it's, but I mean, having good audio tools uh, is an essential part of of being able to design audio environments that are, you know, inclusive and and that are immersive enough to. Uh, to to give you that experience, to give you all the, I guess, indicators and and like sound cues and so on that you need in order to make a game accessible. But there's still a lot of other types of work that goes into making a title fully accessible. Um, yeah. Some companies have been taking steps uh, on console and so on to to do that recently, which I think is great. We're not there yet, uh, but you know the fact that the industry is recognizing it, I think for me personally, as a as a totally blind person, is a is a huge deal. I mean, I'm I haven't been able to play games for a long time. I mean, like I said, uh, I I make games for the blind, you know, but they're sort of inaccessible in other ways because sighted people can't usually play them, so they're they're not inclusive either. You know, I've tried. Yeah, yeah, and you die. It's hilarious. I, yeah, I just, yeah, you know, yeah. I will pay you just to watch you die. If you... <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't understand a thing. <laughs> oh well, I mean, but but to be serious, like I think um, you know the accessibility aspect in the in the gaming industry as a whole is is huge, and I think maybe in a small way I can influence that, and if I can, you know, even help the industry in a small way forward, I think that's you know that's worth my time. 
And also, I, I think we need to say that uh, in the beginning of Alas, uh, my, my main thing was that, of course, our own software will be accessible. Uh, and it was like that for the first year, I think, Philip, uh, until we got... Uh, a lot of client requests and things like that. We had to just be able to to build things for the clients, and those features uh, kind of wasn't accessible. Yeah, I mean, it the- usually happens like when you at least you know in, when making software in general. Um, usually, when when a piece of software is accessible, at least in the old days, it used to be that software would be accessible by accident. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you use if you use the old fashioned, you know, components like, um, say, on Windows, you're using the Win32 API, and you're using the you know the regular window control creation functions, et cetera, et cetera. It more or less becomes accessible out of the box. Now, a lot of GUIs and especially games aren't rendered like that. They're rendered, you know, with with uh, like OpenGL or or whatever, something that. Uh, the software that we use to to access, you know, computers called a screen reader, can't interpret. And you know, in a game, of course, it's it's impossible. You can't you can't glean even the slightest of you know piece, like amount of information from the rendering. Uh, at least not at least not so far. Um, so what's ne- what's needed there is you know the ability to show everything that you would show, uh, you know, with graphics to do that with sound um, or indeed other. Uh, you know, ways of conveying information. I mean, it's it's really easy. Can you turn the screen off and win? You know, if the answer is yes, yeah. then you've got at least blind accessibility. There's other type of accessibility that, you yeah. know, the, the industry is working on, you know, um, like, uh, you know, could be, for example, if, you, if you're deaf or if you have, a, you know, uh, some some other... You know, diagnosis that somehow hinders you from enjoying the experience fully. I mean, those are those are important points, and I think um, for our part at Elias, you know, we can we can work towards better audio solutions, and that I think in the long term will also help improve accessibility because you know people have the audio tools at their disposal; they have more time to focus on it. So, I mean, if the audio team has more time, why not put more accessibility in there? And I think it should be, you know, for for um, a studio that has, you know, high reaching goals for inclusivity in their title, accessibility should be on the table. It shouldn't be an afterthought. It should be there from from day one. And yeah. it really needs to be if you're going to design an inclusive experience, it, it has to be. Now, I'm, I'm, I sound like I'm uh, you know, on a crusade here. I'm, I'm not really, but I, I do think it's important. You know, and I think the industry is moving in the right direction. But uh, one exciting thing that I, I think when we are developing is that uh, when we took the the uh, we we have a really graphical interface, so it's not made for you, for you. But then we realize that not not everyone wants to work like this. Not everyone wants to working in, in the node graph. So there needs to be other ways to work with the sound as well, uh, and then. Almost by accident again, <laughs> we get it ex- accessible for you, uh, slow by slow, uh, where you will be like the power user for that system. Yeah, yeah. So you can expose it in other ways. Like in, when, when we're talking about development tools, um, you can expose it via scripting, like say Python yeah. or Lua or something like that. You yeah. can expose it via keyboard shortcuts, something that I'm not personally very fond of. Um uh, you can expose it through, you know, uh, having a really good tabbable interface, really good menus. Don't use ribbons, yep. uh, things like that. You know? yep. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you guys. I think the being more inclusive makes a better product at the end because now you're more zeroed in on certain aspects uh, to tell the story and not have to uh, rely on one thing, which is mostly visual, uh, to kind of get a player from point A to point Z. And uh, it, it actually puts pause a lot of to to creatives to to take a step back, I think, to kind of review the product as a whole. And um, I've seen a lot of, uh, at least some effort this past year because of, not not directly with games, but at least the development of games. It seems like uh, because of the pandemic kind of shifted our mindset a lot to how we approach game development process where people used to be in the office all the time and now people are mostly relying on you know the internet to kind of connect uh, i didn't go to this, the office in the first place but yeah, yeah. <laughs> right 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 so now everyone is like uh adapting to how you were working philip where yeah, where of. yeah where before we had these like uh subtle cues in the office that we can rely on now we have to be over communicative uh to make sure that everyone is working towards the goal on this you know uh and hit the deadlines right in a different yeah, I mean, way the, and there are very few students. positive aspects of this horrible pandemic but i guess one of them uh in in, in, in one way if we're going to look for a positive aspect it would be increased communication i think um yeah. that's for sure and, and i think also it, it it's made uh, more people get uh, gets the information within the office because uh, many times you forget to tell someone or something like that at the office uh, but in this way everyone gets the right information i think yeah it's, it's definitely trying to make it a lot of studios are struggling right now which is one of the side effects of the pandemic being so long is that it's really pushing people to figure this out and not have to like uh, just abandon it completely or the progress we've made, right? Because it's like, hey, guess what? The pandemic, look outside the window, it's still here. So even though yeah. this is hard, you're still going to have to push through this and figure this out to make sure the communication is still there. Uh, because yeah. it's looking like this for the next year and a half. Yeah, I mean, we're uh, doing pretty well though. We're we're a small, agile company. You know, we we can, uh, you know, we can move pretty rapidly and make changes, you know, and that's why it's one reason why I love it because, you know, we we're able to adapt, we're able to, you know, make the changes that, that are, are necessary to, you know, to not, not, not only survive, but actually thrive and grow, you know, which is what we're doing yeah. at the moment. Absolutely. So one of, one of the obvious advantages is, is that your, your software is allowing sound designers and composers to, to have fun, right? Which is the, I think the main yeah. thing with any great tool and uh, which also makes it difficult too, because it, it with, with with some design senior designers and composers, they can go from studio to studio and like this is the stuff I need, you know, get it for me, right? Uh, and hopefully that's the case forever and ever. And uh, how much are you guys that are hearing from designers that are so used to your tool? Uh, I, I can't imagine them having a, such a tough time to kind of like continue using the tool but again the studio is kind of like dictator of budget and all this stuff like yeah i think how, it, how much do they miss your stuff when they can't use it anymore <laughs> is essentially what i'm uh, asking yeah i think being a composer using elias and, and in the next game uh you're not allowed to i think it's uh, uh it's, it's kind of frustrating i've been there myself <laughs> i'm mm. actually helping out with the game that uh, 
uh, studio that isn't using Elias and uh, helping up the composing there. And it's, of course, it gets frustrating, uh, especially when you maybe work like three or four weeks building a kind of a system on top of what they're using just to be able to do things that Elias could do out of the box. <laughs> uh, for me, especially, that gets uh, extra frustrating. But um, I, I, I think uh, what we're doing right now with the new uh, audio solution um, the toughest uh, thing I think is going to be this kind of studios that isn't really making, uh, how should I put this? <laughs> there are so many games out there where, where the actual uh, economy is more important uh, than the game idea. Uh, and these studios will uh, are really satisfying having old proven tech sitting in their office and they don't really care if it's uh, old or if it's um, so these studios will be the toughest I think the, our first studios and the first collaborations we have uh, already is with uh, this kind of studios that are is trying to, to break new ground and, and do something new um, these are it's going to be our first uh, clients or collaborators Early adopters uh, i guess and hopefully uh, the adopters yeah uh, and hopefully um, these guys will move on to the next studio and and they want want to have the same experience and, and so on and and eventually we even meet this more money machine games uh, also because we, we are gonna help them uh, uh, with the process. Uh, uh, we did have a case though, uh, a, a little while ago where uh, you told me that the composer friend of yours lost a gig because, oh, sorry. Um, the, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause he wanted to use Elias and the studio didn't know how, what was it? What was the No, it was the other way around. Other way around. He, he didn't know Elias. Oh yeah. Um, that's right. <laughs> so he didn't get the gig. <laughs> and, uh, but I actually talked to that studio and said, well, this composer will, will learn Elias in, uh, a day tops so mm. uh, he can still uh, so, so don't uh, don't fire him yeah exactly yeah I, I think in my experience it's been always the same it's always the artists or developers kind of pushing for a tool and software because the man with the money right it doesn't know anything mm. like so why no. can't you use software 10 years ago we make games back then they still make games now yeah there's the whole argument usually about new software and uh yeah it's always up to the senior developers the lead developers of that department to kind of push for for what works and a lot of his demoing really it's like hey using time as money it's like hey instead of me Pay me three weeks to do something I can do it in three hours. Like what? What would you say? You know, that's when you kind of get their attention. Uh, the, the the initial investment is worth it. Is yeah, absolutely. The, the I actually I actually heard of a just uh, the other day. Uh, I was so glad because I heard a, an opposite story because uh, a guy uh, wanted to use Elias. And the reason he wanted to do it is he said, "Well, this time our." Um, uh, we have a uh, it's kind of a risk project and a, and a high budget game uh, so the studio don't want any old software mm-hmm. and i was like 
Yeah, that's the way to go. <laughs> that's the opposite of what I'm used to, used to here. So, so they really wanted to have the new, the new tools, so they don't uh, waste time and so on. Yeah, and a lot of that is just, uh, just letting the industry age a bit to understand what good tools mean, and yeah. uh, somehow that trickles into the upper management in in a good way and helps developers uh around for sure so we're we're almost at the hour mark guys and i want to thank you both for for coming on and chatting with me i do want to end it with one last question and uh that is um a fun question especially with software developers such as yourselves is that i always like to kind of talk about what the next five years look like uh either for the industry as a whole or your your specific discipline, which is the sound department. Like what are you imagining with VR, AR, with mobile device, all these hardware that's coming out and all these new ways to experiment interactive stories, um, you know, even with Netflix, right? Uh, no, not, not a lot of people uh, account Netflix with its like choose your own adventure, which is like a new thing that they're trying uh, as a game, but it essentially is a game. And yep. I, I count it as a game uh, industry uh, uh, pioneering right there. Um, where do you feel Elias software sound in general is going to be playing and growing in, in, in those areas? Well, uh, should, do you want to start? Yeah, you're, you're, no, you're the product guy. You want right. to take that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to me, I see it like this, uh, especially when uh, uh, looking at uh, where you do the coolest uh, uh, films or series right now is within Unreal, I think, uh, with The Mandalorian and so on. And so you kind of blur it blurs out what is what is a game and what is a what is the gaming industry and what's the film industry and uh, i think that is just going to continue and continue so it's it's more going to be like uh, this is what i think at least that uh, okay I, i'm in the mood for like a new hope, Star Wars, a new hope. <laughs> a, a bad example. It's a very old movie, but uh, let's say it's a remake of that movie. I'm in the mood for that today. Do I want to play it or do I want to mm. just look at it or do I want to have some input uh, or do I even want to be in it? Do I want to have the VR set and everything? I think it's going to be more like you choose what level of in integration you want to be in yourself i think uh, that also like for for us uh, as a tools company uh, we have to think about that and not just uh, right now uh, the last years we have been focused really hard on the on games but i think that is going to open up i actually heard a composer that we're doing a music for a, a cartoon and they want they were going to do it within unreal and they were also going to do a game, they decided, after. So we actually got the gig as a, a cartoon music composer, but it, it automatically became a, a, a game composing as well. And I think that's going to be more and more common. And for my part, um, I mean, I, I've got, you know, two points, I guess. Big picture, uh, I mean, I'm excited about the development in in things like um, HRTF, because I think that's going to, um, in a very real sense, um, increase accessibility, actually, because you can actually convey more information if you can do R like RT RTF, 
RTHF correctly had related transfer function. Uh, a, oh no, HRTF. Sorry, I'm 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 I need more coffee. I think HRTF. If you can do that properly, uh, you can actually convey more information in a clearer way. You know, from a, an accessibility uh, point of view. Um, so I'm I'm really excited about that. Uh, of course, I'm excited about the tool sets and the tool chains also becoming more more usable for me personally. Um, you know, and and uh, just just the way we can use audio to to make the the storytelling and the overall gaming experience more immersive, I think, is you know what what fires what gets me fired up. You know, um, but I guess on a personal level, uh, you know, get me my terminal, get me GCC, uh, and get me more pizza, and I'll be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to sign off what you guys are saying. It's like um, it is an interesting time uh going forward in the uh entertainment business like we've seen the lines being blurred a lot between the film and, and games especially uh with the mandalorian kind of leading a lot of the innovations uh using a game engine essentially to kind of help with filming the sets um I, i'm sure you guys are kept up with that too is like uh you know how filming works after the pandemic is going to change forever with less people on set in the mandalorian didn't skip a beat, right? John Favreau, the director of that series, were saying that because of how they set up the digital sets and using Unreal, that they can have a lot of their artists remote and be able to kind of change the background and just the actors on set and not a lot of people or crew need to be physically there, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, and a lot of that, I think, with the hardware, like you were saying, um, Christopher, uh, with... Um, VR, AR, and all these ways to kind of experience a story will somehow maybe a, a license or, or, or something that combines all those uh, choices and options for, for the ex- user, especially to, to experience. Uh, it would be just like a, a selection process. Like, do you want to play this? Do you want to see this? Do you want to experience it in VR? Uh, I, I really do agree with you on that. It's like, it's going to be even more important because I think in interactivity is going to be king at the end. In the end, it's like people want to be able to kind of, we're seeing it everywhere, right? People are on TikTok and people are on YouTube. Like people want to be a part of the story and not just, uh, you know, just be a, a viewer of it uh, is the best way I can put it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I want to thank you guys uh, for your time. And this is the, the part of the podcast where I shut up and hand the mic over to you guys to promote, give attention to uh, to anything that you want to talk about. So go for it. All right. I, f- I feel like we have promo- promoted our software <laughs> <laughs> during the, the this area. But uh, yeah, uh, if you're... Uh, interested in, in trying uh, just apply for our uh, Elias Insiders program and you can try the the, the software uh, the new software we also have a, the music product is already out there uh, and now I sound like a salesman <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but uh, you, you just said what I want to talk about it could, it could of course be other things as well but now I chose to, to do that so just uh, go into uh, lsoftware.com and, and apply for the insiders program. Philip, 
Maybe yes. you can say something less to sell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually going to say more or less the same thing. Um, but uh, yes, I mean, I, I think uh, what I would say in general is, you know, um, consider consider the audio very carefully. Um, let it be an integral part of, of your development process from, from day one. Don't let it be, you know, an afterthought. And the same goes for accessibility for, for different you know, people with different types of um, abilities, disabilities, what have you. I think you know something that I'm passionate about, so I'm gonna I'm gonna plug it um, shamelessly. <laughs> and uh-huh. you know, try to make your gaming experience more inclusive. You know, and if if that's hard, you don't know how to do it. There are lots of people you can reach out to. Me, you can reach out to lots of other people for advice, for help, for tips. You know, how do you do this? It's it's hard, but I think it's well worth it in the end. All right. I want to, again, thank you guys for coming on. And of course, I'm going to check out Elias Software. It seems like it's a perfect tool for any developers to kind of be uh, using the best use of their time, basically. <laughs> uh, so uh, I want to thank you both and uh, see you guys next week. Yeah, thank, thank you so much you. for having thank us. You. It's been yeah. a pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail future, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody